Well, as many of you know, I have dabbled in endurance trail running. It's hard to dabble in something like that, but I have done that. I have dabbled. And, and my dabbling culminated this last year in a, a race that I did. It's a 31-mile trail race. And, and the way I get involved in something like a hobby is, is to read books about it. That's how I do things. <laughs> so I read books about running. I, over the last couple of years, I've read uh, at least 10 books on the subject of running, specifically endurance running and endurance athletics. So I've read books by people who've done five Ironman triathlons in seven days and people who have run the entire length of the Appalachian Trail. It's 2,200 miles. Um, I've read books by people who've run 135 miles through Death Valley and 200 miles around Lake Tahoe. And um, I think there's a picture up here. This, this runner here, his name's Killian Jornet. He's probably the, the greatest endurance athlete in the world today, maybe ever. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing. But he, he recently ran or, you know, he hiked, but he set the record for the fastest ascent to, on Mount Everest. Uh, without any oxygen, without any extra equipment, he literally ran as as much as he could and and walked when he couldn't. And uh, and and when I've read these stories and uh, read the accounts of these people, without fail, even even the greatest endurance athletes in the world, even the the most talented, the people who've trained for for almost their entire lives, every one of them has reached a point where they want to give up, where, where they're literally laying on the ground during a race and saying, I have nothing left. I just want to be done. But they kept going. They got up off the ground and they endured and finished that race uh, and finished that accomplishment. And, and as we have been making our way through the book of Acts in the New Testament, we've seen that, that Jesus' mission that he gave us to, to go into the world, to make disciples, uh, we've seen that it's difficult. The, the, the mission of, of bringing the message of Jesus to other people is difficult for many different reasons. Living together in meaningful community is difficult. It's, it's challenging, and, and surrendering every aspect of our lives to Jesus, saying, you're in charge of me, you're my ruler, is, is difficult. And we get discouraged, we get tired, we get beat down, but the call to follow Jesus is a call to endure. It's a call to persevere, to, to get up off the ground again and to keep going. And, and Jesus himself even said several times, those who endure to the end shall be saved. They'll be rescued. And so we, we could see that the call to, to endurance and to walk through difficulty, to keep getting up and going again, it's, it's an inescapable reality of following Jesus. But, but we ask, well, how? How do we do that? How do we endure? What keeps us going? What is it that gets us up off the ground and back into the race? So before we answer that question, we're going to read from the book of Acts, chapter 14. We're going to do the whole chapter 
today. If you're using one of the Bibles back there, it's on page 923. I think it'd be helpful for you to have a Bible or have this up on your phone today because we're going to be going through a lot of different verses. And and in this passage, we're going to consider three things that we see these two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, endure as they follow Jesus' call to be on his mission. So we'll see that they endure risk, that they endure misunderstanding, and that they endure repetition. So I want to read this passage, Acts chapter 14, page 923. It'll be on the screen as well. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, And to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, "'Stand upright on your feet.'" And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. 
and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, many of us are tired today. We're tired for many different reasons. We feel like we have nothing left to give to you or to anyone else. And yet here you are calling us to endure, to press on, to persevere. And I pray that, that as your word, your good news is proclaimed to us, that we would hear Jesus, that you endured the cross for us so that we could endure on your mission to bring your message to others. So would you encourage us? Would you strengthen our weary souls? And would you call us to endure, showing us that, that it is you working in us, not in our own strength, not in our own willpower, but in the strength that you give us? Would you call us into a better story than the ones we have been living we pray for this to be a powerful, life-changing moment for us, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now we remember in Acts 13 that we looked at last week, um, from, from that point on, from Acts 13, the rest of the book of Acts is all about the story of Jesus spreading out from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas to all of the Roman Empire and beyond, just like Jesus had told them. You're going to take my message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to every corner of the world. And, and that's what we saw Paul and Barnabas beginning to do last week. They go to this city called Antioch, which is in modern Turkey. They preach the gospel to the city. And, and initially we saw they were, there was a lot of curiosity. People were, were interested in what they were talking about. They were pretty well received. But what happens is eventually they get run out of town. Uh, for, for various reasons. And, and you can imagine, they're far from home. Uh, after that initial success, they get re you can imagine that they're very discouraged that they have been kicked out of the city. And here they are, far from home uh, in, in a foreign country. And, and you can imagine that maybe they thought, maybe we should do what, what John Mark did. He was their traveling companion who had left them earlier and, and threw in the talent. And you can, I don't think it's a stretch to think that they, they considered that same, same idea as well. But they do not give up. They do, they, do not, uh, they do not throw in the towel. They keep going and they endure. So it says that they headed to the city of Iconium, which is 90 miles to the southeast of Antioch. And, and we talked about this last week. This is mountainous terrain. It's not easy to walk through on foot. There's bandits, there's robbers, uh, there's just the, the regular perils of being on, on foot, traveling that way. But when they get to Iconium, they, they do the same exact thing that they had done in Antioch. They go to the synagogue, the place of Jewish worship, and they proclaim the good news of Jesus to the people who are there. And they see the same exact results. Initial 
uh, excitement. It says that some, many people believed, but then there's division, there's opposition, there is persecution. And we see that just in the first couple of verses. And, and I want us to think about this for a moment, that, that these two missionaries, they have left uh, a dangerous and difficult situation. They're, they're banned from one city, and what do they do? They go to another city and do the same exact thing. And now they know, they're going into this with an awareness. They know what the risks are. They know that there's a likelihood of a similar kind of result, and yet they endure those risks. They persevere with, with courage. And, and here at the beginning of this chapter, they can see the same kinds of things unfolding. Things are going good, people are believing in Jesus, and now we're experiencing resistance. People are, are divided, there's tension, there's frustration here, and, and they know what's coming. They can anticipate what's happening. But what did they do? It says in verse 3 that they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. So even under the threat of danger, Luke, the author of Acts, he says they stayed in the city for a long time. This is probably a period of several months that they were there. They remain on Jesus' mission. They plant a church. They're, they're discipling people who put their faith in Jesus. They're training up leaders. They're declaring the gospel in the city. They're, they're showing the good news of Jesus through their lives. It says that God granted them even to do miracles, signs and wonders, so that people could see the power of the gospel through their lives. Even at great risk, every day they, they were there was a risk. They endured. Now, when we think about this situation, we think about our own lives, how's this going to apply to us? My objection is, well, you just like just get killed? Like, is that, is that like the, the destiny that we all have? And, and, and I think this is important for us because sometimes we get like a martyr complex going, like there's nobility in just going through difficult things just for the sake of doing those things. So, so we have to look at these, these men as they're on mission. They don't go looking for danger. They're not, they're not provoking these things on purpose. We don't have to seek out persecution as we're following Jesus. Tony Merida, he says, we need to be brave on mission, not stupid. So be brave for Jesus, not stupid. Uh, and, and we see Paul and Barnabas, when they're in this city, eventually it gets to the point where they, they realize, you know, it's too hot here. We need to, we need to get out. And so it says uh, in, in verse 7 that they, they leave the city. They, they know that their lives are in danger. But, but I want us to think about that, that middle period when they knew this was a risk, but they endured. And that's the, the primary example we have here is that they endure the risk of being on Jesus' mission. And we can ask ourselves, what are the risks that, that I am taking for Jesus? What are the risks that you are taking for Jesus as as you follow him. So maybe you finally shared 
the message of Jesus with somebody that you work with or somebody that you know, or, or maybe you've been more generous with your time or your money or you're serving uh, your church community in a way that you have not done before, or maybe, maybe you have brought an area of your life into obedience to Jesus that you've been trying not to uh, for, for various reasons. And, and in each of those examples and a thousand others, we, we're taking a risk in a way. We're saying, I'm, I'm putting my comfort, my security, my convenience, my preferences underneath my allegiance to Jesus. And that's risky because it's uncomfortable. It could bring difficulty into our lives. What if we tell somebody about Jesus and they they visibly are upset or opposed to what we have to say. There's, there's an element of risk there. Or, or maybe if we're beginning to, to give financially with our time and it costs us, right? It's literally costing us something and it makes our life more difficult. There's a risk that we're taking there. And I know that many of you are in the midst of this right now. You're feeling the effects or the costs of the risk that you're taking to follow Jesus. He's calling you to grow. He's calling you to obey. He's calling you to take risks for him. He's calling you to make changes in your life. And I want to just say, as your pastor, as your brother in Jesus, endure those things. Endure the cost of those things, the risk of those things. Don't give up. Keep going. Press on. Persevere. Even when it is hard, even when you get the pushback, even when you feel the pinch of those things that Jesus is calling you into. And then I know there's some of us here who are probably resisting that call that Jesus is giving us. We're holding back. We're saying, I don't want to do those things. I, I'm afraid. I'm selfish. I'm, well, I don't even know what I am. But I just don't want to yield those things. I want to call you to, to surrender. Surrender those areas in your life. Jesus is, is calling you to things, and, and you can surrender. You can take those risks because he is there for us. He will never fail us. And so yield your life to him. Hear his call and respond by taking that risk. Just like Paul and Barnabas, Jesus is calling each one of us to 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 go on his mission, to take risks, and he is going to be with us every step of the way. So take the risk and endure the, the hardship of the risks that you take. Next, the call to follow Jesus is a call to endure misunderstanding. So, so we see Paul and Barnabas, they leave this city of Iconium, they travel another 20 miles to a city called Lystra, and they do the same thing. They preach the gospel. And, and as Paul is preaching, there wasn't a synagogue in, in Lystra. It didn't really have a Jewish community there. So, so it's all Gentiles or pagans, you could call them. They worship primarily Greek gods. And so they're just out in town. They're out in the, in the, in the city square preaching about Jesus. And, and as 
They're preaching. Paul, uh, he sees this man who's obviously disabled. He can't walk. And, and the Holy Spirit gives Paul some kind of insight or discernment that, that this man is responding to the message of Jesus and that, uh, that he has faith that the Jesus that he is hearing about can heal him. And, and it's a, that's a sort of an unknown. How does that happen? How does Paul know? We don't, it's not really explained to us, but it's clear here that Paul had some, he looks intently at this man. He's staring at him and he sees something that the Holy Spirit reveals to him. And he says, get up, you're healed. Jesus has healed you. And it says that the man leaps up, he springs up, he bounces up. He doesn't struggle to his feet. He bounds to his feet and immediately he is completely healed. So this is awesome, right? That's exciting. We've seen Jesus do this. We've seen this happen with other disciples uh, earlier in the book of Acts. Peter and John have seen this happen. And, and here in this moment of, of the miracle of God's grace at work in this man's life, a misunderstanding begins to take place. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in their native language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So, so there thought is and, and that, that Paul and Barnabas are themselves gods who have come down into their, into their town. So, so what happens here, it's just a classic example of cross signals. We have language barriers, so they're speaking in their native language, not in Greek. It's probably what Paul and Barnabas were doing. Um, they're working within their pagan religious traditions. They also had a legend in their town that the gods had visited them before and they, didn't, they weren't welcoming enough and so the gods judged them with a flood and so they really didn't want that to happen again. And uh, so, so they, they have this religious zeal that's going on. We want to just overdo it for the gods who have come down to see us. And so they go to the priest of Zeus. They, they're getting a sacrifice ready. They've got these beautiful garlands that they're going to put on the necks of Paul and Barnabas. And, and it's all not for, not for Jesus. It's, it's not for the God that they've been talking about. It's, it's for another God. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they do their best when they finally understand what's happening. Because there's a moment where like, what is going on right now? Like, they seem excited, but not for the right reasons, we think. So, so once they realize what's happening, they do their best to express their true intentions. And, and Paul starts preaching a message very different from the one we saw him last week. He was preaching to a, a Jewish audience, so he's using the, the scriptures He's trying to speak, we talked about this, in a way that they will understand. And he does the same thing here for the people of Lystra. He's, he's trying to communicate to them that, that we are the messengers, not of Zeus, not of Hermes. We are the messengers of the living God, the one true God. Put away those vain things. Turn away from these things that you've been worshiping. And follow the one true God, follow Jesus. But even with his best efforts, he's probably yelling till his voice is gone. The crowd is just caught up 
in their misunderstanding. It says in verse 18, even with these words that Paul was preaching, they scarcely restrained the people from offering a sacrifice to them. And I think we get a sense of the frustration that Paul and Barnabas are feeling. They've come hundreds of miles. They've been faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus. They've suffered persecution. And now they can't even get the basics across to these people that they've come to share the message of Jesus with. And, and it's just kind of a low point. I mean, these guys think that we are a different God. And that's just beyond frustrating. It says they tore their clothes. I mean, I've never like intentionally torn my clothes, but you got to be you got to be frustrated. They tore their clothes. And and as we go today on Jesus mission, we're going to go out from here. We're going to go home. We're going to go to work wherever Jesus has us. I think that we experience the same kind of frustration a lot of times where you know, despite our best efforts to love people with the love of Jesus and to, to speak the message of Jesus to them, people misunderstand what we're saying. Our culture is so mixed up when it comes to Jesus and, and who is God and what is he like. And, and every person, it feels like, has a different definition of the things that we're talking about. And so people will misunderstand us. Our motives will get questioned. Uh, people will latch on to us, but for the wrong reasons. Uh, People will use us. People will lie to us. People will say we lied to them. People will, uh, (laughs) they'll accuse us. They will flatter us. The same person will talk about you in glowing terms and then curse you. Same, Same person, could be the same day. I've had all these things happen to me. But, but the, the long and the short of it is we will be misunderstood as we follow Jesus. The things that we say about Jesus, the life that we're living for Jesus will be misunderstood. But we have a call, and we see it here, to endure through misunderstanding, to press on even as we are misunderstood. We don't give up on people. We try as hard as we can to tell them about Jesus in ways that they can understand us. We don't just bail on them when they don't understand the first time. Like, well, clearly this person is not intelligent enough to know about Jesus. That's not what we see here. We endure misunderstanding and we try to bring clarity. Holy Spirit, help me to speak Jesus to these people. Help me, because I don't... It's, they're misunderstanding what I'm saying, and I need you to reveal Jesus to them. I, I remember I had a conversation with a pastor here in Eureka probably about five years ago. We went out to breakfast, and he was just asking me. He was new in town, and he said, well, what's, what's it like sharing Jesus with people here? And I was telling him about, you know, just the way that that I try to look at myself and the way we as a church are trying to follow Jesus on mission is to to be present with people and to be a faithful presence of Jesus to them. So so not not just making a pitch for Jesus, a sales pitch, a cold call, but but living out the gospel in front of them through the things that we say and the things that we do over a long period of time. And he said, Oh, I don't I don't do that. 
He said, if I tell someone about Jesus and they don't respond, I'm done with them. I'm done. I move on. I'm not going to waste my time with somebody who, um, who is not responding to the gospel. You know, Jesus has given us a mission. We don't have time to, to be with people who don't, who don't respond. And I'm, I was like, wow, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. Good luck, uh, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and, and he was very adamant about this, kind of saying, like, you should probably not do what you're doing. You should do what I'm doing. And, and when we look at, at Paul and Barnabas here in this city, we don't see them doing that. They don't, they don't blow off the people of Lystra. They stay, and they continue preaching about Jesus. They don't just, whatever, you guys, you thought we were gods. Come on. I'm over you. We're over you. No, they stay, they endure, they persevere. And, and that's our call as well as we follow Jesus. God's called you to a mission. He's called you to people that are in your life. They need to know about Jesus. And, and we don't just try one time and it doesn't work and we just never address it again. But we ask the Holy Spirit, I was, I'm trying to be faithful Give me another opportunity, and then give me another one, and keep giving me opportunities to share the love of Jesus with this person, with these people. We're not called to annoy people, to pester people, right? I'm not saying, like, just get a restraining order put out against you, okay? Don't, Don't be a pest, but lovingly persist in sharing the love of Jesus with people that God has called you to. Just remind them that you love them and that God loves them through, through Jesus, even when they misunderstand you, even when they say something about you that's not true, even when they accuse you or they misunderstand your motives, endure. Now, what happens after this moment? They've had this big uproar, you know, the bull is sitting there that's going to be sacrificed. <laughs> what happens after this? And it turns out it's really the same story, different city. Uh, people, this is amazing. The Jews from two of the other cities um, that they had already been in, they follow Paul and Barnabas. They're like religious bounty hunters. And they come after Paul and Barnabas. I mean, they've come from over 100 miles, some of them, to just say, these, these are bad dudes. They're going to mess up your, your city. They're going to they're gonna cause a problem here. And... and this is, this is what happens. They basically throw gasoline onto the fire of misunderstanding. That, that there's already misunderstanding and these guys come and just say, let's get crazy here. Let's get violent. And, and they essentially form a lynch mob. There's no, there's no trial. There's no attempt at justice or fairness here. They're just like, we're going to kill these guys. We didn't travel all this way to just talk. We're here, we're here for blood. And they drag Paul outside the city. They throw giant rocks at him until he looks like he's dead and they leave him there and they go back to where they came from. And, and right, this is the cost of enduring the risk of following Jesus, enduring the misunderstanding. There's, there's real cost here. When we follow Jesus, we will be misunderstood. And sometimes... That will cost us. Probably not going to get large rocks thrown at us, but our reputations will suffer at times. 
sometimes we'll be treated unfairly. Sometimes we will be alienated. Sometimes we'll be called intolerant. Sometimes our friends and our family and, and our community, our neighbors, will reject us because we follow Jesus. But our call is to endure, not to shrink back, not to, to take the hard edges off of Jesus' message. Paul talked about this when, when he wrote to Timothy, who is his son in the faith. And, and Timothy, uh, he wrote a couple letters, uh, Paul wrote a couple letters to Timothy, and, and Timothy was from this city. He was from Lystra, and, and he became a follower of Jesus because he heard the gospel from Paul and Barnabas. And, and later on, he ends up going on, on mission with, with Paul. And, and in, in one of his letters to Timothy, Paul says, uh, you're going to be misunderstood just like I was. But, but remember how you came into the family of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, you, Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Sometimes we read these letters like Second Timothy and we forget that they were birthed in the pain of real suffering, right? You, you read that letter now and you're like, oh, I know about Antioch and I know about Iconium. I know what happened at Lystra. Paul had large rocks thrown at him until people thought he was dead. People that had an interest in seeing the job completed. But his family and Jesus, they came around him, they supported him, probably prayed for him, and he got back up. This is incredible. He got back up and he went back into the city. The city that had just cast him out and violently tried to kill him. He goes back into the city. He endures. He keeps going. And the next day, probably a little sore, he travels another 60 miles to another city called Derby. And what does he do? He keeps on telling people about Jesus. Now, so far we've seen that as we follow Jesus, we're called to endure risk, to endure misunderstanding. And here we see at the end of the chapter that we're called to endure repetition. We're called to endure repetition. Where do we see this? After Paul and Barnabas, they're in this city called Derby. They, they plant a church there. Uh, and it, this church apparently really thrives, really grows quickly, and, and there's a sense of fruitfulness and, and not as much of a sense of, of opposition and persecution. So after they're there for a period of time, seeing this church community growing, they decide it's time for us to return to our, our, the church that sent us back in Antioch and Syria, the church that, that the Spirit led us, uh, sent us out from. We're going to go back there and, and just give them a report on what's been going on. Now, if we look at the map again, we got the map there. So they're in Derby, which is kind of in the middle, and they have to go to Antioch, which is to the east of them. That's, that's where they're headed. That's where they're going. Now, as the crow flies, right, what's the fastest way? It's to just go east. 
It's to go back to Antioch on that eastern route. But what did they do? It says in verse 21, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They go back to the cities where they had been persecuted, where they had been run out of town, where they had been violently uh, assaulted and persecuted. They go back to those cities. So instead of taking the path of least resistance, the shortest way to get home, they endure the repetition of following Jesus and making disciples. In each of these cities that they had been on their mission, they had left behind a community of people who were following Jesus together. And Paul and Barnabas, they care about these people. They love them. They know what it is that they're going through. And so they say, we will endure the long road of repetition. We will retrace our steps to go back to these people because we love them and because we want to see them thrive and continue to grow. And in each of these places that they go, they encourage the people in their faith. They instruct them. You you guys are young and immature still. You're probably already messing up a ton because we've been gone for a period of time. So they're, they're instructing and correcting them in the correct way to follow Jesus. They They establish leadership in each of these churches, that there's multiple elder pastors who are put in place in these churches, and and then they pray for them, and it says that they entrust them to God. When we are on Jesus' mission of making disciples, we must endure repetition. We're called to go back over ground that we have already covered We are called to linger with people that we've already spent time with. We read the scriptures that we've already read. We pray the prayers that we've already prayed. We take communion week after week. We gather together week after week. A Christian life is one of repetition. It's one of routine. And a lot of times it feels mundane. It feels boring. It feels repetitive like we've just we've done this already before and you know nothing happened last time I read Leviticus you know what why am I doing this again why am I why am I reading this again when when I run and I've continued to dabble in running (laughs) I often run in the same place I go out to this place on the outside of town called the McKay track so it's there's no cars it's just trails and dirt roads and a lot of times I run the same, same run, climb the same hills, run the same trails, run through the same puddles every time my feet get wet. <laughs> I looked back on my running app. I've run in the last couple of years at least 75 times I have run in, in this place. But in, in the repetition of going back to that place again and again, what am I, what am I doing? I'm building a base of health and fitness. I'm, I'm enjoying God's beautiful creation. I'm not on a treadmill in my garage because I can't do that. Um, I'm training my body and my mind to endure. And that's happening through repetition, going back to the same place again and again. Now, when I needed to last year, I was able to run this long race 
on a trail that I'd never been on before, at a distance that I'd never covered before. But I could not have done that if I had not gone again and again and again to the same place and run the same run that felt just like, here I am out here just putting in miles again. I could not have done that race without putting in that repetition in those miles. Following Jesus is a call to endure repetition, to cover ground that we've already covered, to go back again and again to the simple message of the gospel. We said this a couple weeks ago. B.J. Thompson, he's an author, he says, the gospel is just simply saying, I am, I am a mess, and yet I am deeply loved by God. And, and sometimes we just get bored of that. We just... I've already heard that before. I've already, I've already spent time on that. But don't move on from the gospel. Don't, don't try to find another uh, message of good news. Endure the repetition of following Jesus. Persist in knowing him and persist in sharing him. One of the the questions that I got a lot and I know that other long-distance runners get is, why would you do something like this? It's a legitimate question. Why would you put yourself through such agony? Why run so far and why keep going? And I think the same question could be asked of us as we follow Jesus. Why keep following Jesus when the road is hard? Why keep following him when there's opposition when so many questions remain unanswered, when there's risk and there's misunderstanding and there's repetition. Two reasons why we endure. We endure because of Jesus and we endure for Jesus. We endure because of Jesus, because he endured for us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter, or the one who completes our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We endure because Jesus has endured for us, even when we had given up on him, even when we were opposing him, even when we were his enemies, Jesus endured the cross for us. And now he's calling us into this life of enduring faithfulness. We have been loved deeply, we have been loved at great cost, and now we can love deeply and at great cost. We endure because of Jesus, and we endure for Jesus. We endure because we've been loved, and we can love others. Again, in in his second letter to Timothy, Paul says, Therefore, I endure everything, everything, for the sake of the elect, or for the sake of those that God has chosen to be in his family, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We, you and I, we do not save people. 
We can't. We can't do it. But we are the way that Jesus calls people into his family. We are the avenue or the conduit that people come to meet Jesus. And so we endure because of Jesus and for Jesus on his behalf. And I love the last few verses of this passage in chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas, they make their way finally back to the church in Antioch, the people that had sent them out, the people that had been supporting them, the people that had been praying for them. And they say, listen to the story of God's enduring faithfulness to us. Look what he has done. Look what he has done. He has been saving people. He's been with us every step of the way. And he helped us to endure. He helped us to complete the mission that that he sent us on and that you sent us on. And now look at all the people that have met Jesus. Look at the churches that have been planted. They're not bragging. They're saying, we're boasting in God. We're boasting in what he has done through us. Because he endured for us. We were able to endure for him. What is the story that your life is telling? What are you enduring and why are you enduring that? What keeps you going? Through this passage, we're seeing that Jesus is calling us to live a better story that that rests in him and that helps others to know him. And so the call here is for us as a church to live together, live out this story, to endure together, to endure risk and to endure misunderstanding and to endure repetition together. And why do we do it? Because we know that we have been loved by Jesus. And we do this for Jesus so that others might know him. So let us endure together the race that is set before us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, your pursuing love that hunts us down. Even when we have been running away as fast as we could, you have endured. Your love has endured. And we thank you so much for that enduring, faithful, steadfast love that you have shown to us again and again, even as we have made complete disasters of our lives. You've come to save us. You've come to rescue us. And we pray that as you begin to put our life back together in Jesus, that we would hear the call to endure, to not give up, to not surrender, to not throw in the towel, but to press on for Jesus because of Jesus. We cannot do it without your help, and so we ask you to help us and to help us to share that good news of Jesus with others and help us to endure together as a community as we continue following you. In Jesus' name, amen.